in pursuit of plants. Welcome to the next instalment of In Pursuit of Plants. Remember that we have a blog with further reading and you can find this at www.inpursuitofplants.co.uk. Welcome to the third episode of In Pursuit of Plants. Uh, today I have here Jamie Farrington from Quarry Bat Mill and the University of Manchester. Hello, thank you very much Gemma. So I am um, a PhD researcher at the University of Manchester and I actually work with the National Trust at Quarrent Mill. So Quarrent Mill is a is one of the earliest textile mills that is still running today. It was owned by the Gregg family, who actually opened the mill in 1784, and they actually had a vast range of workers and apprentice children. And today we're actually going to talk about the medical the medical use and the plants they had at the mill at the time. Brilliant, thank you. Uh, so today's podcast we're going to split into roughly two parts. Uh, the first part is going to look at the therapeutic impact of nature and the second part will focus more on the medicinal plant angle and also the medicinal treatments of the apprentices, the owners of the mill, so the Greg family and also the workers. So yeah, so we can make a start. Uh, so do you want to kind of give us a brief introduction to kind of the therapeutics Outside. Of course, so like so, the mill itself is really interesting because it was, as I mentioned, it was the earliest cotton mill, and the Greggs themselves actually lived in site. So that we had the Corbank Mill, and next door to it, we had the Corbank House, where the Greggs lived. And the Greggs were very big on nature. And when Hannah Gregg, the, the wife of Samuel Gregg, who was the mill owner, came to the mill, she was one of her main things that she really liked about the mill was actually the natural environment, and, and it's different from Manchester and Liverpool from where she actually originated to begin with. In her diary, she'd always mentioned how the mill itself was her retreat, a therapy retreat where she would actually go to try to actually heal herself mentally and also physically. And this is really important when we actually try to discuss the history of the Greg family. Because the mill, where it's situated in this lovely natural environment, was very much distanced from the busy bustle of the Manchester Industrial Revolution. However, it was still very much at the heart of it, being only 12 miles from Manchester Centre. It was like being an oasis, like so so distinct and so different than what you would actually expect from the growing industrial city at the time. And when you actually come to the mill itself, when you actually walk down the path towards the mill, the first thing you notice is the overhang of trees. It's not the mill you notice first, it's always the natural environment. And that is the thing that should always come first there. Because for Father Greggs, even though we have we have the very distinction between the the mill and the place of work, and the, and also Coy Bank as a place to live in, and and that living space is very important to talk about as well. And Hannah Gregg was in crucial for this. So the mill was her, as I said, her mill was her oasis. And when you actually come into Coy Bank House where they live, none of the actual windows at the house actually faced towards the mill building. It actually all faced towards her gardens and the river itself, which the mill was actually situated on. And as we'll talk about later, these gardens were actually used for both plants and actually vegetables, and she spent a lot of time in there and also encouraged her children to actually take part in gardening at the time. So did the workers have access to this area as well? Is it just for the family? Really, that um, her gardens was actually, and Corbank House itself, so both spaces were basically more for the family access. However, this does not mean that the worker did not have any access to nature. They themselves also lived in this natural environment and they lived in Style Village, which was created by the Greggs, but was actually situated at a distance from both the mill and the Corbank House. So, the, so that's very important. They were distinctly separated from the Gregg family, but still close enough 
so they could walk to the mill and, tra- and commute there. And the Greggs ensured that the work, the workers' village in style, was actually very much surrounded by nature. They had a lot. Go- they had, they had their own garden spaces. They had and they had allotment spaces. So that they themselves also had their own personal natural environment too. That was separate from the Greggs, but they actually the Greggs did think about it and tried to incorporate that into their into their standards. Sounds like a lovely place to be, really. So I guess the other question is on the kind of area that they had, how much of kind of the content of the plants they were growing were from, you were mentioning vegetables and food, but how Mm -hmm. much of it was for medicine? How much of the plants they were growing were for medicinal purposes? Well, that's really interesting, really. And it's something that hasn't really been explored too much because we we, we know very well that at the mill, in the mill's archives, about the um, the vegetables and food. And we actually know that both the workers and the Greg were growing different types of food for the for both visitors and themselves to eat. However, we do have evidence that they were they were they actually had positions at the mill and also that lots of self care and treatments happening as well. So they were they also had to actually have some space where to grow certain types of different herbs and, me- and medical plants that would that we use to actually treat them too. And we sadly do not know where these are. They're, these are the things that haven't been left recorded. We know that it would have been likely, and we know that there is, there'll be some place in in the garden space itself and it'd be great for me to be able to find that but sadly we don't have it but we do know that there was evidence that they would have actually more than likely been growing certain type of basic medicine that they could actually use and incorporate in any type of treatment that was happening at the time. So do you think it's more likely that the workers would be more likely to be growing kind of the medicines rather than say Hannah and the Greggs? Yes I believe so. Because of a distinction and how they're, they're being treated at the mill it was um, for the Hannah Gregg and maybe even the apprentice children, however, that's a bit more debatable. It was likely that they were more able to actually probably buy medicines in and and with and actually go to like local apothecaries in like nearby towns who probably actually were growing medicines for them. So it's more like that they had ready-made medicine. However, for the workers who probably didn't actually make as much make the money and actually and actually to save themselves a bit of income, they in their garden spaces they will probably actually have some basic medicine knowledge about what certain plants can do, and they would have actually either grown them in the gardens or actually even actually explored the local wildlife around them for any sort of plants that they knew of that could actually have some benefit in plants. You have to remember so I think it's really important to actually think about the workers in the natural environment and not just actually trying to cultivate themselves but actually being aware of what was surrounding them and, and being able to actually, to actually know that there's this plant before growing here and this kind this, this of this effect so it might be a good idea to actually take some of that and use it later on and might be and we can always gather some on this and actually go in our gardens later on and go from there. So this is a really good point to segue onto our second section, which mm-hmm. is looking at obviously medicinal plants um, and the kind of stories of what was going on with treatments. So mm-hmm. you mentioned like before we kind of started this interview, saying they got some really interesting notebooks mm. um, and some kind of stories. So do you want to share a couple of the in- more interesting stories? Oh yeah. So it's so one thing that is really great at the mill, and one thing that is that makes Coibank so unique is that we have this massive medical um, record which actually is like two medical notebooks but that actually span like a 45 year period and across this period the physicians there's more than one but there's one main physician uh um, write down every single treatment they use and the different types of actual medicine that they actually use in these treatments and a lot of these are actually using a lot of types of herbs quite a lot of other things actually just may say domestic or purging but you, and but you do know that all these are actually using different types of like plants to actually do this sort of thing. And there's and in some cases they actually even write down what these plants are. I mean, look at it. It's sort of thing that today you wouldn't really consider as you in, in sort in a sense to actually be medicinal 
having made some further sites, one of the best cases to chamomile. And chamomile was actually used in eye to actually try to actually reduce inflammation or maybe in a process to actually draw something else. So it's that difference in how chamomile has been taken from being a tea format that you might see mostly today and you drink it as maybe as a calming thing but also as a drink of choice to be like a medical treatment at the time. So what was kind of the most common kind of plants that were used Ooh. for medicine at the mill? So that's a really interesting one really because there's quite a there's quite a few. So you have things like like you have like, like chamomile you have said before, you have lots of things like black currants being used and that is actually to actually make medicines less bitter so like trying to sweeten medicines and when we actually think about a lot of the patients that we have are actually these apprentice children you kind of might mean that you're trying to encourage the children maybe to actually take medicines that they probably don't want to take in the first place ginger is being used a lot of rhubarb so we have a lot of things that's like digestive issues so we actually we know that these things are being used in line with metics so so like they're trying to purge the system anyway like and probably quite evacuative and quite a and I think this was also trying to actually make that bit easier in the process. Again, the main thing when it comes to actually these types of plants being used at the mill is mostly towards um, laxatives and also for purging. And this goes very closely to the idea of the shumor system and this purging system that happens at, during this time period. So we have things like cow coriander being used for it, along with what, like, the ones I've always mentioned. Opposite than that, you also have um, herbs like hoarhound, which is also being used. And that was probably used for like colds and coughs and actually for any flu-like systems, but could also, again, be used for detective problems. So there's actually this pattern emerging here. Like these these plants that were being used are used not just for like one sort of illness, but actually being used for a range of different ailments, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, and just for those of you who are listening who might not know what the humoral system is, uh, the humoral system in its basic sense was basically the idea that the body needed to be in balance. So everything was kind of divided up between hot and cold and wet and dry. These then tied in with the seasons, obviously spring, summer, autumn, winter. And these in turn then tied into black bile, yellow bile, blood and phlegm. And the idea that whatever symptoms you had would kind of present themselves in kind of a range of these. Say, for example, you've got cold, you're a bit sweaty a bit chilly obviously um the idea was to restore balance you'd give the exact opposite so you give something that's warm and dry so in the case of kind of the illnesses in the mill the obviously things trying to do the exact opposite on the humoral system to try and treat them yes and so i guess the interesting thing then ties into whether or not there was a difference between kind of what kind of drugs have been taken by the gregs who are the wealthy landowners Mm -hmm. Sorry, the wealthy mill owners, sorry, um, compared to the apprentices who are obviously children who kind of, as you mentioned, would need the black currants to make it taste yeah. nicer. And then you have obviously the adult worker as well who would maybe not need to the same extent the black currants to make it a bit more flavoursome. Mm-hmm. But was there kind of a clear distinction or were they quite similar treatments for the three? Well, it's quite interesting, really, because there is a lot of similarities in the treatments. But it's how these treatments came about is, is what makes it interesting. So you have like how the how the mill set up, the mill set up in like quite a business message. So I mentioned so you mentioned the Gregs and you also mentioned the apprentice children. And it's very important when you actually think of those together because of how because the Gregs as owners were were actually fully in, and as paternalistic um employers, which meant that they um basically took charge a lot of they actually gave a lot to the workers in the hope that the work would give things back. They had a different relationship with both their apprentices and the workers. And for the apprentice children, they were basically in charge of every aspect of their life. So from the moment they came into the mill to the moment they left after the, from either the 18th or 21st birthday, the Greg's were responsible for actually providing them food, 
clothing and housing. And in return, they had the apprentice would work for free in their mill. And they only earned money in the case of when they actually did overtime. And this is where the medicine came in, because as well as giving like food and clothing, the Greys also provided a healthcare service in a way. Or they hired uh, local surgeons um, who would come in and treat the apprentices as necessary. There's one main surgeon, Peter Holland, who was also the Greg family doctor. So he was the main surgeon that actually treated the apprentice children, but he was also the family doctor for the Gregs and also for quite a number of other elite families in the area, which is really important in that sense. But then you actually sort of see that he was treating different types of people and he was using treatments for the apprentice children alongside the Greg. And um, the only disparity was that he was more likely to use surgery on his elite patients than he did actually on his on his apprentices, which is quite interesting considering he was trained as a surgeon, but for the apprentice children, he didn't do much of that surgery. But then you have the workers and they're completely different. The workers were given housing. They were provided with a housing, which they had to pay a rent for, but they were provided housing and they were subsidised in terms of food. And it was, it was all a bit cheaper because they lived on the Greg's land. So everything they did, the Greg's were not in full control yet, but the Greg's were always there. There was always presence of the Greg's. And that's where the paternalism actually works for them. But in contrast, they were not given the medical care. They had things like a sick club they had to join, but they had the ability to go out and actually find their own treatments. And that's a very interesting difference because they could actually go against the treatments that was actually provided by the Gregs to the apprentices, and they could actually find other practitioners. And they are, in fact, they could actually even actually perform self-care. And it's more than likely that that they had this community sort of feel actually formed with the workers, where they actually would have got together and actually have like shared medical knowledge of like different plants in the area and other things that was happening. And then if one person got ill, they might go to the neighbour or might go to someone else in the family and might have shared different knowledge. So even though we have similarities between the work, the apprentices and the Gregs, the workers, while probably actually using certain techniques that are similar, would have had their own health, um, own system of healthcare that was complete, that difference and was contrasted to that, which I find very interesting. Especially when you were mentioning before that they got given a pot of land where they could grow vegetables. Yes. So probably likely with their kind of culture of self-help amongst mm-hmm. the workers, probably more likely to then grow their own medicinal yeah. herbs rather than re- rely on buying them in, which the Gregs could have bought to do. And that's it. The Gregs had the money to do that, but the workers may not. And the workers, they're actually not in the main city. They were being paid less than their counterparts in Manchester. But at the same time, they were also being given a lot of the provisions. So, and one of the provisions by like, this pot of land did mean that they could take herbs or plants that they found in the nature that they knew had some sort of healing effect and replant them in a pot of land and actually try and grow more. So they were, that would be quite a nice and cost-effective way to actually always have something on hand in case they were, it was ever necessary. Which is, so it's kind of like these pots of lands also had that, well, that therapeutic aspect that I mentioned in the first place, but also had the practical medical effect where it could actually it meant that if they were ill, they actually had pleasant um, medicine on their doorstep. And it wasn't their doorstep. They had neighbours who might have different types and they couldn't even share amongst themselves. And if it's a community field where it was quite open, where people were quite happy to share, that's fine. Unless all might be bathroom for each other, we're not sure. But that's a possibility. So the Gregs, by giving them some land to provide them not only a therapeutic environment, but mm-hmm. then also having a space where they could then 
treat themselves and not have to kind of spend as much money they can be communal and kind of work together to treat each other they had that freedom to actually take their own medical needs into their own hands and that is that is really interesting because it kind of makes you kind of think even though they weren't trained they're more like some sort of knowledge that they would have shared and would have been passed on from like from earlier periods like the mill was open for a good 170 year period so for, throughout the entire time of the mills and life, like these people would have actually probably passed them on from family to family as new families moved in, they became part of the community as well. And like that, so we have like probably a shared knowledge that would have been shared across the community, and then actually with each generation, new new knowledge might have appeared as well. So from the first workers that started living at um, style up to about um, early 20th century, um, we probably have a complete culture of medicine actually being formed here that was actually different than elsewhere and that was quite unique to the place. There's kind of a dichotomy going on between the kind of professional medicine that was being given to the obviously the Quirks family but also the apprentices who kind of um, got housing and health care as part of working for the mill but then you have the complete opposite going on with the workers where they couldn't necessarily afford the health care of the surgeon compared to kind of the Greggs and the apprenticeship but so they had a more community around the medicine instead and working and growing their own plants which is as you say, a really fascinating mm-hmm. uh, way that came up. It's kind of an opposite to kind of the assumption that everything's becoming more professional over time. Instead, you have a separate kind of separate. medical system growing within the just the community of the mill the itself. Community. And you have these two separate but linked people. Like you have two separate groups in the community that has that difference. And 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 you think that they wouldn't be able to work together, but they do fit together quite nicely. And I think this is what really characterised the Corvette Mill. It is a mill of differences. It's like a community is thing that shouldn't work, but somehow works and mismatches to actually make a unique setting for the place. So you have obviously three different main groups that you've identified mm-hmm. over the classic. You've got the Gregs, who are really wealthy, can afford to mm-hmm. kind of import medicines, and then you have the apprentices who in the context of medicine, pretty similar, though without less surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your workers, who are an entirely separate group who kind of were all about self-help and things yes, like do. that. What is quite interesting that you can really fit it into the development of the country doctor and sort of see how, in the sense of the physicians that came to the mill, how we have their role differs from the role of medicine maybe in the city, the, the, and other big towns that are forming, and how medicine is so it's different maybe in this natural um, countryside environment compared to that at the same time you also have the whole idea that professionalism might actually go at this point you have to think is that kind of focus just on the towns because when you actually look back to like outside the towns and actually go further to more like the countryside where my mill is situated and these groups and communities that are formed there that are not part of these other bigger communities we have that medicine is different there I'm not trying to say professionalism wasn't happening. I'm just saying that professionalism might be more regionally based. And where where the mill is situated, we have professionalism appearing. We have the physicians appearing. We have surgeons. Um, as the time goes on, we see more surgeons appearing. And we have the Greg family and also other elite families that live in quite rural areas actually affording and actually employing physicians and trying to encourage maybe their workers to actually go to physicians. We also have resistance to this and having like the more community-based medicine and self-care also growing and their culture's not disappearing they are still very much present and they're growing at the same time too like Quarry Bank as a community not just as a mill but the community only really formed from the late 18th century and, and then existed throughout the 19th century up until the early 20th century and throughout and that and throughout that time it wasn't a system where for the workers at least 
where this community was actually getting rid of their self-care or community-based medicine. They were actually growing it. So I think we have to be really careful when we actually look at it as academics to actually not just try to generalise that whole professionalism everywhere in one massive goal, but instead look at how individual places approach medicine differently and how we can actually try to look at the narrative and actually try to actually give like these individual identities back to these different communities and actually think of them not just part of the bigger picture but a smaller picture that make up a much larger whole in the, in the future yeah so this like narrative of community medicine and community pharmacy mm-hmm. in this context more specifically is like a really fascinating definitely academic field obviously there's lots of research into yeah. kind of community pharmacy and mm-hmm. things like that but it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting seeing in the context of the mill because you have not only the kind of medical professional side of it with the family mm-hmm. and the apprentices, but you also have the community side of it both in the same space. It's fascinating because you have this idea of the mill being directly next to the house with the garden surrounding it. It's this really kind of idyllic space. It's mm-hmm. so pretty, but also functional. And at the same time, community, but at the same time, kind of professional. There's Definitely, so many yeah. overlapping and seemingly contradictory but at the same time not yeah yeah it's a fascinating space and i mentioned this idea of paternalism as well but i want to really actually enforce about that the gregs even though they were quite quite benevolent employees you have to remember that paternalism also meant that they wanted to have some sort of control they wanted to make sure that they kept their workforce and so even though we have this resistance we have the community doing all this as well the gregs themselves might have actually been attempting to try to control that medical access as well. And the fact that they didn't, or the fact that they could not kind of show us the power of the community, and the fact that even even though you may have an employer who actually owns your house, owns the land you live on, and basically is in all parts of your lifetime, doesn't mean that these communities can't flourish in this way. Which is very, which is very interesting, because it kind of shows that these people, the working class people, can going together to actually form a much stronger unit in that sense that can actually form their own identity even away from the influence of their in this sense the employer of the Gregs which I always find quite fascinating and I like that narrative quite a lot. Yeah I also find it quite interesting for example when we were walking around Quarry Bank earlier today um, was the idea that you had the apprentice but also the child worker and looking Mm. at those two groups because you think children in the mill would all be treated the same the different medicine that was provided for the child worker or for example the kind of children whose parents were working in the mill who weren't apprentices so therefore weren't providing free labor in return of a home food medicine etc compared to the apprentices who were basically kind yeah. of indentured really they're kind of doing the work but getting in return kind of Definitely. free home and health care and food like the very fact that these two groups were doing the same kind of work but still very different in the context of yes. medical treatment yes definitely so it really really sort of emphasizes that whole you can't just look at the people at Quarry Bank as just this one same community. You can't just think that everyone that worked, every worker at Quarry Bank is the same. And it's really easy to do that. When you actually think of like a workforce, you kind of think, oh, there must be much difference in the problem. They are just this one group and you all come together. And we also, you have to think, no, because there's going to be people that have been treat, both treated differently and have different aspects. And when it comes to the, with apprentice children particularly, the apprentice children, were very unique they were much different than the worker and and if you have child workers and apprentice children at the same time they had two different types of medical care different types of actual home environment different types of living place and they still work you know they still work but they're but they're different 
And it makes you kind of think, how was the child worker who lived with his parents being treated by them as employers compared to, compared to the apprentice children? Because over time, we do see a great number of child workers who lived with their parents as the apprentice system died off. And you kind of think there's a whole, there's a different sort of stories that appear here, which kind of shows how medicine you know, itself is actually changing. When you look at the medicine treatment itself, over time, this also went from being one way and, and as it progressed the mill changed sort of seamlessly sort of like well i say seamlessly yeah you probably would have been bumps but you've got to see how it sort of changed and something different started to appear as the century progressed so what kind of medicine are you referring to in this context then? um well as the apprentices died off and the greg started stopped actually having apprentices suddenly we went from having all of the apprentice children being paid for the value medicine so actually that's fading away as well and then suddenly it's the workers providing their own medical culture. So by the mid 19th century, when the last apprentice actually had left the mill, at this point it was just the worker system actually happening. The apprentice, the, the system with the Gregs actually providing money, providing the healthcare was gone, and now the workers, all workers, both child and adults, were free workers who weren't indentured, and they would have to actually be able to actually find their own sort of care. So in reality, even though a lot of the records we have at the Cory Bank, it's actually based on the more the Greg and apprentice system, the physician coming in. The longer one would have been the the one that actually probably actually lasted longer wouldn't have been the apprentice care, but the workers care, which would have carried on throughout the late nineteenth century up to the early twentieth century when the workers themselves started to ebb away. The kind of the community pharmacy community. remained yes. important. Medicinal plant knowledge that they were kind of clearly sharing with each other remained not only important, but growing in a sense into the 20th century. Because by that point, as apprentices died off, they had to increase their workforce. And to do that, you had to actually increase how many workers they had. So style village itself grew, which meant there was more free workers who were more and more people living in that area, maybe even in separate places outside of style, but still in very close vicinity. And that would have meant there would be more more people, meant a bigger community, meant which meant a greater people to share the shared knowledge with. So as Style Village grew, did the new workers also get their own kind of therapeutic land? To... Yes. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. I'm just going to, I'm going to go with therapeutic yeah. land <laughs> for them to grow their own um, kind of food and veg. They and did, medicine. yeah. So the first house was converted from barn, but they created more houses or acquired more housing from nearby and were very keen on actually making sure that they got the space. So to even past the earliest Greg's, when they, they pass them on to their sons, they kept that tradition onwards where the, the workers came in and actually were given some land space, plot of land and garden space that she used. This is a nice way to kind of bring it back to Hannah because mm-hmm. at the very beginning we're saying Hannah was really interested in kind of this idea of the therapeutic landscape of going out into her garden and f- feeling kind of replenished and kind of emotionally cared for through gardening and clearly raised her children that way so it's interesting to see how you're saying at the end of the time of the mill so early 20th century with like her I guess her grandchildren at that point or great-grandchildren um Hannah's life ended about um the 1830s 1840s by that point but then her children was still very much present at the mill and, and her daughters lived on in Hannah's and Samuel's house next to the mill after they have gone, with the Robert Hyde Greg who took over from his father Samuel, taking over the mill and actually building a new house a bit further away, but still in style. So that kind of her idea of ne- the workers needing 
a, a therapeutic space of their own where they could grow plants. On. Yeah. She passed it on to her children and her children enforced that later on in the mill as well. And then that repeated throughout much of the 19th century. Yeah, it ties actually, again, quite nicely because we were discussing as we were wandering around Quarry Bank um, today was the idea that the children also had their own therapeutic garden, didn't they, that where they could grow things. Yes, so Hannah was very keen on her children having this natural impact of this link with nature and, and throughout her life when the children, children would come and visit them during the summer because they went to boarding school and would, would actually kind of teach them but actually provide them with stories i actually wanted them to actually be out in the gardens and actually working with nature and actually gardening themselves and they had their own plots of land in her diary she recalled about how they had the child gardens um, and how they would actually go out and actually do their own work as well which is it's very nice really because it's kind of showed how she was trying to make sure her children from an early age could actually incorporate with nature and actually understood the benefits of nature that she took away from it and so that they can take it on throughout their lives and from what we see at the mill with robert Hyde greg in particular who took over who took over from samuel we see that impact with nature carrying on when robert built his new house he made sure to actually build his own gardens and his own allotments at the new house which he was very proud of so that love of nature carried on throughout the family from that early period right across to about the, quite the late 19th century. The interesting thing with the gardens, again, when we're around, for those of you who've not been to Quarry Bank, you basically have a lot of greenery, the mill, and the house pretty much almost next to it, really. And the gardens just yes. kind of around the back of the mill. So you can kind of, various points, look into it if you're kind of just wandering around, you but also definitely. the actual dedicated growing, the growing area of the garden, for lack, yeah. lack of a better word. Um, it's very interesting how they've done the layout as well, because she's clearly trying to embrace this idea of therapeutic landscape, not only for herself, but the workers. Mm -hmm. But there's also a divide going on, wasn't there, between how they, the kind of the Greggs associated with the kind of therapeutic landscape compared to the workers. Yes, definitely. Corrent Mill had to be for the workers and also for the family. Greg, when they worked there, so that was the workspace. But when it comes to Corbank House and the gardens, that had to be a family space. And they wanted to make sure that they had that family time. So they, they made sure that they had that separation so that they can enjoy the space and not feel like, even though it's always overshadowed by the mill, the mill was always a second thought for them. The mill was separate. And that was very important for them. Instead for the, the workers, when they came to that part of the landscape, it, more than likely the mill was probably the biggest area. That that was the first presence. So there would have been a difference in how um, Hannah Gregg and saw Corbank House compared to how the workers saw Corbett House. As Corbett House, the workers were off the mid zone, and their place was the mill. While once they get into Tyre Village, that became that, that their natural place, their, their place in nature. But for Hannah Gregg, it, it's it's the opposite though. Coybank Mill became her off limits. Not saying that she wasn't allowed to probably go in there, but it's a space that she probably limited herself and didn't want to actually be able to see. Rather, she just saw the gardens and this natural space where she lived, which I think is quite important for that. So it's a very interesting distinction between both the worker and the Greg themselves, and how even though we have the paternalist relationship and how they're actually very much very close to one another, there was still there there were still some boundaries that were being kept to actually ensure that. Even though they were they could mix, they weren't mixing too much. They kept in the same in their own distinct space. Giving the workers the therapeutic landscape and also the ability to grow in their own medicinal plants, food, etc. Yeah. But not in a space that infringed on oh. this space of the Gregs. Of the Gregs themselves. Um, especially because like when you're in the gardens, you, it's, sometimes you can't really you can still see it, but it's kind of off, often obscured by trees oh. and kind of yes. presented in a way that it's still there, but it's kind of not obvious not unless there, you know yeah. it's there it's it's it, but 
when you're in Kwa Bankhouse, when you're in the gardens, the mill is the afterthought. When you're in the mill, that the Kwa Bankhouse and the gardens is there as well. But that is not what the ones you're looking at there. You're two different, two completely different worlds that have been put right next to each other and kept separate, but are so interlinked. Uh, and that's and I think that is a very nice the narrative, a nice way to be, really. It's a nice narrative that kind of ties in with medicine as well. Yeah, so medicine. when we were talking about how the Gregs and the apprentices had kind of the, the physicians coming in and treating them and buying in medicines because obviously they could afford it. But even then there was a slight difference between the two. You were saying how the children, the apprentices, sorry, were less likely to get surgery compared to the family. Definitely. So there's still that divide, even completely separate to the community-led medicine of the workers, even within the kind of oh, apprentices. Yeah. And, it's that, and, and I think harking back to this whole point about Quarabank Mill, it actually is the basis of Quarabank Mill. Everything about it, there's different worlds all coming together in different ways that shouldn't work but do and they mismatch to make the quite bank environment that we know and we have today in the archives well thank you for coming and oh, talking thanks for having me thanks for listening remember our blog can be found at www.inpursuitofplants.co.uk and you can also give us a follow on twitter at ipop underscore podcast see you next time